Despite what beautiful, glossy social media and advertisers would have us believe, making it through life's challenges is not summed up in five easy steps. And we don't find peace in the storms of life from a handbag, face cream, or the latest sneakers. Life is challenging. And sometimes life is stage four metastatic cancer challenging. So how do we make it through all that life throws at us? Hi, I'm Jane Chalon, and I have had the privilege, honor, and blessing of working with cancer patients since 2011 as the palliative care chaplain at Yale New Haven Hospital. As I have listened to patients over the years process their living, dying, healing, and not healing, I have been struck again and again by the profound spiritual insights and resilience that have surfaced in our meetings, and I've often thought that these incredible nuggets of truth should not be for my ears alone, but instead should be offered to the world. Now I know that cancer patients often hear that they are an inspiration. They're so brave and so strong. And for most patients, this is the last thing they wanna hear as they're crawling into bed exhausted after just a walk around the block. But I also know that you do not need to be a published best-selling author. You do not need an alphabet of degrees after your name. You do not need a fancy job title or a million followers on Instagram to have a profound, unique, and important perspective on life and how to survive and even how to thrive in the midst of it all. The patients, caregivers, and clinicians that you will hear from have been through it all, supported it all, and seen it all. The stories, interviews, and voices you will hear in this podcast will change you. They've changed me, and I have watched as they've changed others. So get ready to laugh, cry, and be moved to a deeper place. Get ready to find a way forward. Welcome to In the Midst of It All. Today, I am so excited to welcome Mo Armstrong to our program. Mo and I met years ago in the palliative care clinic while he was undergoing treatment. I was immediately struck by his passion for helping people, his creativity, his resilience, and his deep and expansive faith. Over the years, I've learned how much Mo has made it through and how he has helped so many others receive mental health and spiritual support. Recently, Mo told me that he has a life mission statement to help others in the way that he has been helped, to make sure others have the same access to support that he has had. In the book, The Wounded Healer, Henry Nouwen said, nobody escapes being wounded. We are all wounded people, whether physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. The main question is not, how can we hide our wounds so that we don't have to be embarrassed? But how can we put our woundedness in the service of others? When our wounds cease to be a source of shame and become a source of healing, we have become wounded healers. Mo has been on the battlefield in the Vietnam War, and he has been on the battlefield of cancer. And yet, in the midst of all the suffering and wounding that comes with fighting any war, he has never lost sight of caring for and offering healing to others. 
I am so excited to welcome Mo to the program. I always feel a little more hopeful and empowered in my talks with Mo, and I hope you will also gain some of that passion and drive to impact change in the world as you listen to Mo. Mo, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thanks, Jane. I'm glad you don't leave my uh, time together more bummed out. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. No, I'm always, I'm always inspired to go out and do something <laughs> to well, help the world. That's, just that, like well, you. that's the way I feel. I mean, you know, all of us can make a difference and all of us have to. I mean, yeah. in small ways, I mean, if all of us just go make a little difference and make things a little better, eventually it'll get a little bit better. You know, um, Thich yeah. Nhat Hanh, who's a um, Vietnamese Buddhist, mm -hmm. says that war comes and conflict comes from all of us have this little conflicts and this generates up, right? Yeah. But the same can be said for goodness or kindness, right? That all of, all of us just kind of like work and show and live and give a little bit of kindness mm -hmm. every day. And I don't mean to be sanctimonious about this or goody goody. I'm just sharing with you that just, you know, maybe opening the door for somebody or Maybe, um, you know, I found it always strange. You know, people are always thanking me for my service, for instance, you know, and mm -hmm. yet nobody's ever offered me a cup of coffee or a sandwich. So, mm -hmm. I mean, you could maybe just offer somebody something to eat or you could just always say, hey, I'll I'll pay for that coffee or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just give something back a little bit during the day because those of us that have something can give a little something to those that don't have as much. Right. Those random you know, acts of kindness, right? All that, right. That's they, the way of describing it. Yes. Random acts yeah. of kindness. Yes. Yeah. And spontaneous, too. Yeah. 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 So um, I thought, um, you know, we could begin by kind of learning more about who you are. And I know um, in your story, you wrote about how you've reinvented yourself several times in your life and learned how to reinvent yourself. And the first time it sounded like you really reinvented yourself was um, in the Vietnam War. Um, so can you share a little bit more about that process, what that was like? Well, you know, I went into Vietnam kind of like a dedicated anti-communist, right? And so there I am in Vietnam and I'm, you know, fighting and I'm, I'm seeing that the communists, you know, were building schools and, you know, they were taking care of people on the ground, you know, in a way that we were supposed to. To fight a guerrilla warfare, you really have to build all these villages up. You can't, like, bomb them out to oblivion. And you also have to set in an economic system which supports everybody so that they can eat and they have food on the table. And we just kept using, you know, large bombs and airstrikes and stuff to get our objectives met. And I could see that wasn't going to work. However, with that said, I also want to say that, uh, you know, on the communist side, they have been kind of a singular Stalinism. And they, they kind of like were very hardcore, repressive. And that also doesn't work, right? So, you know, in a way... We were there and we stopped the spread of that kind of hardcore communism. Now, if you look at the world today, communism is kind of a fragmented. There's different kinds of communism. And Vietnam, I think, was a very focal point for us. However, in my spare time, where that changed, where communism was no longer this unilateral Stalinism, it became a variety of communisms. And I think also we in the United States, we learned how to 
like interact more with diplomacy and goodwill rather mm -hmm. than just outright military destruction to get our objectives met. So, you know, the Vietnam War was a success, in my opinion, on many fronts. However, I also decided that what I needed to do was reevaluate myself as mm -hmm. as a, as a conservative, as a, as a person who believes in less government, but believes in effective government. You know, everybody's talking about less government, and I'm not that kind of conservative. I believe in effective government. I believe in good administration. So when mm -hmm. I got out of Vietnam, I kept trying to figure out, like, what would be effective? And that's how I first got involved with nonprofits after the war and you know, things like that. I started understanding that there were other ways of doing business. There were other ways of helping people that didn't necessarily the business solution wasn't always the right solution either, right? Mm -hmm. And so after the war, I became involved in the music industry, but through nonprofits. Yes, that's true. And so I had to rethink myself because before the war, everything was black and white for me, right? Business was good. What's good for General Motors is good for America. We're there to fight communism to the death, no matter what it is and no matter how we interpret it. And afterwards, I became more, I don't want to say flexible. I just became more, it's complex. Hmm. Things yeah. are complex. And I, the, the war taught me that I have to like understand complexity more. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the big reinventions I have to have. You know, the, there's shades of communism. There's shades of capitalism. Mm -hmm. You know, right. there's shades of all these different things that are out there. And how do you mix and match that? And I can have and honorable living. I mean, you've yeah. heard me say this before, Jane, and that is there's no secrets to life. We get born, we get an education, we go out and we work and we die. That's all there is to life, Jane. There's no <laughs> more to life, okay? I can assure you of that. No more to life, okay? Yeah. So anyway, that's what I, I learned from the war. I learned right. it the hard way. You went kind of from, from a us versus them, a, a black and white sort of um, framework to 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 more nuance and seeing the variety of things. And and you know you wrote about too that you kind of shifted from sort of being kind of more um, you know diving into the war to then diving into peace movement and things like that. Yeah, I thought the peace movement was very good. As a matter of fact, that's where, through the peace movement, I first uh, got in touch with E.F. Schumacher's uh, theories on uh, small is beautiful. Hmm. And, I, and I thought that was always an interesting concept. As a matter of fact, when I lived in Berkeley, E.F. Schumacher spoke at the University of California, Berkeley, and I got to hear him speak wow. before he died. So I always thought that the concept small is beautiful was good. You know, how do we build little family farms, how do we build family businesses that are self-sustainable? I mean, that was all the way back in 1976. Yeah, you know, that, was, yeah. that was like uh, six years, at, uh, 10 years after I was in the war approximately. So, you know, there are solutions out there, you yeah, know, and sure. the war taught me that uh, I needed to understand complexity more mm. so I could find solutions better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. That's so, that's so important in life. I think anytime. Yeah. And then, then you went on this amazing music career and then, um, you in your forties went back to college and kind of started working with, um, a nun, um, Sister to, to Pat. 
Yeah, to help with campus ministry. So I'd love to kind of hear more about, you know, your faith and reinvention. Thanks. Thanks. I think I have a video. I can't, can't find I've got a VHS tape of myself and Sister Pat. So we had the campus ministry. And at that time, um, I went to the College of Santa Fe, which was a, a school for Catholic priests in okay. the mountains of New Mexico, in the rural areas of New Mexico, right? So okay. we were a seminarian school also. So okay. we we had theological classes. So in those theological classes, like we studied Thomas Merton and mm-hmm. how he taught meditation in Buddhism. And I'd already been exposed to Buddhism several times earlier in my life, just because meditation is so timeless. And it taught me how to calm down without the use of drugs or alcohol or anything else taught me how to calm down. And I needed that. Mm -hmm. And so um, we learned that we learned uh, what was called um, by uh, Gustavo Gutierrez liberation theology. So if we went in to a community, let's say in the lower Rio Grande Valley or in the mountains of New Mexico, and we would take these Bibles with us and then we would try to give people the chance to like learn how to like make do or live with the land that they had. You know, it's it's strange. Most people think that they have to go off and get a job and work somewhere. They don't realize that if they could grow a few vegetables at their own home, they could save enough money that they wouldn't have to work that hard. For instance, that would be an example. So we would say to people, look, you can stay on your mountain land up here in New Mexico. You don't have to relocate to Albuquerque to earn a living. You can, you won't earn as much up here, but you won't have to pay as much for food because you're growing your own fruits and vegetables here on the land like people have done here for centuries. So we use that campus ministry to do those kind of um, projects with people out there in the wow. community. Wow. Sister, And then we had, of course, mass. I For the mass, I just opened the door. You know, that was my thing. I made sure that the place was set up and priest was there. And I would open the door and then I would close the door and lock the place up. And then we'd have retreats in the mountains and we'd, Sister Pat and I would set that up also. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And then you you also um, helped veterans to to be able to um, get receive tutoring and be able to graduate. And, um, you know, we were just talking even before we started recording about how you also worked in the broadcast industry and NPR for a while. And so you've definitely reinvented yourself so many times and have been. Well, that's um, how I started school. See, I started school yeah. thinking I would with these business, the Veterans Administration would only pay for business degrees, right? Okay. And so I had to take all these business courses. They They wanted me to go back and work somewhere in an office. But I also, you know, tried to keep going with radio and trying to do music. And, you know, so I had a salsa program on uh, public radio and then also had an oldies show where I play oldies music on Friday and uh, salsa music on Saturday. And then also I did the gubernatorial campaigns and I covered sometimes the state legislature in um, Santa Fe. Santa Fe is the capital of New Mexico. So, so yeah, I, I, I was able to do all that. The, the thing that I found out, though, was that in the end, you know, I felt I was better suited just to stay and set up these support meetings and mm-hmm. just kind of endless support meetings. And so I started doing that in 84. And I really never even now I try to do what I can when I can. 
I'm pretty weak and I'm pretty, let's say, I've, my life came to a, gra uh, not a gradual halt, just a screeching halt, really, after the, the last cancer treatment. But, you know, with Zoom, it's strange, isn't it? With Zoom, we're able to do a lot that we never dreamed possible before. Yeah. And so, you know, I do Zoom meetings and support meetings. I have a support meeting in New York City for veterans on Monday. I have uh, mm -hmm. several other support meetings that I attend with Anne's Place for other cancer patients. Oh, I attend great. support meetings with Yale and Smilo, you know, with uh, with the head and neck um, support yeah. meeting and also with the, uh, the um, palliative care. I did support meetings with palliative care also. So, you know, I try to keep being with others and having them be with me. And right. I think we try to all put our heads together, right, Jane, and try to figure things out together, right? Right, exactly, exactly. And that's, again, so you're, it's so important too, I think, for, for any of us um, in the helping profession, for any anyone who is going through a hard time too, that you can be a part, you can attend support groups, receive that care, but then also lead them and offer that care to others. So, well, that's so, what I yeah. found out, Jane. I found out that you really can't like be a facilitator in a support meeting unless you believe in the effects of support, right? Right. And exactly. so, you know, when I would recruit people to do this in Boston or here in Connecticut or in veterans across the country, it was always the people that attended the support meetings and believed in it and it benefited them. And then I would encourage them to take more of a facilitator role where they would also set up their support meetings. Uh, the, the motto of us was each one, reach one, teach one, mm -hmm. each one, reach one, teach one. So if you found somebody and they were like willing to work with us and do the support meetings that each one, reach one, teach one. And also I believed in taking materials and not just talking about how we feel, but having a reading or having a topic. And then from that go forward, that also seemed to do a lot better. Have the support meetings be educational in nature. Yeah not yeah. just what's wrong with us and how bad we feel. What's wrong with us is we're miserable. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot going on, right? <laughs> yeah, we're miserable. We're wiped out from cancer, mental illness, yeah. whatever. You know what I mean? And yeah. so, you know, so we're miserable. So that's, a, in my opinion, that's the given. <laughs> You know, so how are we going to get from point yeah. A to point B? How are we going to get to the at least shades or grades of the next place? Right. Yeah. 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 So you've offered so much support um, to veterans and now receive support. Um, so so you and you said, you know, my life came to a screeching halt it, in 2019. Right. You were that's when you were diagnosed with cancer. Um, and I wonder what what that moment was like for you and the diagnosis. Um, I broke down and cried, Jane. Yeah. I think that, you know, I'd seen death in Vietnam up close yeah. and personal. A couple of guys died on me in Vietnam mm -hmm. in my arms. I'd seen death before, but mm -hmm. that was as close as I've come. And then going to the infusion rooms and getting all the chemotherapy in my arms and going down into the basement and getting the radiation, yeah. seeing how the other cancer patients were doing or weren't doing, um, just re really brought home to me like how short my own life is. And, mm -hmm. You know, what what do I have left to, to do, to give, to, to be? 
it was really um, for me kind of very 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 life changing experience. Yes. Yeah. I always say you know how we have uh, what we have before the common era and after the common era in yes. biblical teachings, right? You're a pastor. Yeah. Yeah. So, so now I call my life uh, BC before cancer and AC after cancer. After cancer. Yes. I've, I call yeah. myself BC as me is before cancer and AC is after cancer. So yeah. cancer and I've had other illnesses that have been very profound, even to the point of being homeless with post-traumatic stress disorder. And so, um, you know, that uh, I should say post-traumatic stress, but the, um, you know, that, that, um, Cancer was just, I mean, it's the ultimate. Cancer, mm-hmm. cancer is the ultimate. They, yeah. It's such a precipice that if a person makes one wrong move during the process, they mm-hmm. could just go, go, mm-hmm. period, go. Mm-hmm. So I had to be very careful. I had to be very cautious with what I ate, the way I live, not get overextended, not get too tired, not get too fatigued, um, any of that. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I even hear it um, and I bet our listeners hear it too, just even in your tone, you know, you had this life that was so full and so active and so, you know, traveling all over the world and helping people and, um, and, and doing so many different things. And then here comes this cancer and it just really, it, um, it, it changes everything. And, um, and so I wonder kind of how did you make it through that time? Um, and how was your faith helpful in the midst of that? <laughs> Just get down my knees and pray, Jane. I'm telling you right yeah. now, there's no, there's no easy way. I'm telling you right now, you know, you know, um, you always hear the thing. Um, you never, you never, you never meet an atheist in the battlefield. You know what I mean? You, right. you heard that in a foxhole, you never meet an atheist. Oh, if you heard that, well, Jane, I'm going to tell you right now, I've never met I've never met an atheist in the infusion rooms, okay? Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and what I found strange was all the others were praying. You know? <laughs> they were I mean everybody was praying, right? Everybody was praying and everybody, you know, um got faith real quick, okay? I'm you right. know, I mean it was like, you know, this is so big, this is so profound that I don't know what's going on. And this is in God's hands, right? More or less, you know. But I also learned that I had to like eat more, less packaged food, right? Mm-hmm. More fresh food, you know, almost all fresh food now. I never, I mean, maybe once, every once in a while, I, I buy something that's in a little package that we heat up, but I try to keep everything as fresh as I can. I yeah. learned how to walk. And that was also a chance for me to have conversations with God. God's never um, talked back to me, <laughs> but I, I have these one-way conversations with God that mm-hmm. uh, that I find very, very interesting and very comforting, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, a chance to remember my life. I mean, the past three years has been very good for me that way. Native people, when I, I lived with Native people in New Mexico, uh, mm-hmm. right, exactly right after the war, 19... 67 68 and and they really believe in like when people are passing they gather everyone around the person and they talk mm-hmm. about their lives and they talk about what they did with the person they have all these in, incredible reflective moments right yeah 
And so we Europeans don't do much of that, you know, so we don't really put much emphasis on that. But I have had a lot of time to think about like what I did in my course of my life and who I was and where I was okay and where I would like to change and what I'd like to do differently. And so, you know, and that's, that's a great opportunity actually for, for me, you know, and Mm. I I think that sometimes maybe that's what major illness is good for, right? Mm -hmm. It's good for just stopping us and just saying, Hey, what's really important in our lives and what do we really have to say to those that we love and those around us? And, and, And what kind of conversations would we like to have with God? Mm-hmm. And for me, God is more like consciousness. I think we talked about that earlier. For me, God's yeah. just this omnipresent consciousness. It just seems to be like moving or when waves or maybe waves, you know, it's, I sometimes I think it's undulating this consciousness and it's, it's real. And we miss the, we miss the signs. See, we're looking, so we're so keyed to miracles that we miss the signs. It might be a thought or it might be a change in our life or it might be uh, someone we meet or it might be that leaf like we talked about before that's just blowing beside us as we walk, right? It, It might be any of those things. And that might be, you know, our encounter with God. Hmm. They say, God's never talked to me. So, you know, I don't know if I'm right or not, but I'm just sharing with you. In an audible format, but it sounds like God is speaking to you in other ways, you know, that you're noticing God in the big and then the little miracles of life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And humans, you know, we talked about complexity. People have a hard time with complexity. Mm -hmm. People have a hard time with immensity also. Uh, Yeah. The immensity of God. Right. It's just so huge. Yeah. And I always say to people, usually our solar system around the Milky Way is takes up, I think it's a 52 million year orbit, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just our little stinking solar system and it's yeah. huge. Solar system. I mean, I'm not even talking about God, you know, I'm just talking about our small solar right. system, right. which we think is so big, we can't even barely get to the moon, much right. less other planets. And yet our solar system takes like 52 million years to make a uh, orbit around the milky way so the immensity mm-hmm. humans really have a hard time with you know we mm-hmm. for us we we think immensity is a crowd over 10 people or right. uh, you know what i mean immensity is yeah. a traffic jam well that was yeah. immense you know but <laughs> the, the immensity we're dealing with is much grander yes yeah yeah almost hard for it's hard hard to wrap our heads around yeah yeah. So you mentioned to the past three years, um, you know, you, you um, wrote in your story about how um, Yale uh, Cancer Center, Smilo, and all of the, the staff there really saved your life. So wh- so you were diagnosed with with cancer in 2019. And then and then what happened? Well, pretty much right. I had to put my whole life in their hands. Right. Yeah. You know I mean? The ENT guy referred me over to Smilo, and I met Dr. Badia, and I met uh, Dr. Um, um, I've forgotten the, his name now. Uh, um, uh, two doctors, but Dr. Badia has been following me straight through since then. So, yeah. um, Dr. Park, that was okay. his, Dr. Oh, Park nice. and Dr. Uh, yeah. Badia. And so, you know, they really, they knew what they were doing. They, mm-hmm. they knew 
chemotherapy. Chemotherapy destroys a lot of cells, right? And mm -hmm. so it's a delicate balance. If person, it's just not like a standard procedure, like an aspirin would be. It takes a delicate person's mix of the chemotherapy to counteract the cancer that's spreading through the body and going into all the other. Mine was stage four, which meant it had gone to other parts of my body. Mm -hmm. So the chemotherapy was necessary to kill those cells in other parts of my body. Radiation couldn't get it all, right? Yeah. So, you know, and that takes a, that takes a very experienced person to do that. Mm -hmm. That's not, I mean, I couldn't imagine. I'm, I feel very lucky that I was here with Yale. Um, people here really are reading and learning and finding out like what's the optimal treatment, right? Right. What's the best care, right? And so um, that's, that's what's been amazing. Again, I, the, the only thing I always say is that the, most of us, if we survive, you know, and we take care of ourselves, the aftercare seems to, we need more expansive aftercare because most of us are left with multiple symptoms. Now, those symptoms, right. I think, can be more manageable. Yeah, yeah. You know, like yeah. I have the hypotension, I've, I've got the dizziness, I've got all that fatigue. I think the symptoms can be, become more manageable. But right. So you were, they, they told you that you were cancer-free? I um, am cancer-free. I've gone two scans now. Awesome. I'm growing tumors, but they're okay. non-carcinogenic. Okay. Okay. All right. So I'm growing, okay. but I've been growing tumors since 79. Okay. So get, that's okay. from that. I think that came from the Agent Orange in Vietnam, right? Uh, so, you know, I think I've been growing these tumors since 79, but in 2019, yeah. 79, that's quite, that's what, 79 to 2019. That's uh, almost um, exactly what? 40, I don't even know. 40, 40 years. years. Yeah, 40 think, years, yeah. 40 years. Yeah. Something like 40 years, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So something like 40 years. So for, for off and on for 40 years, I'd been growing tumors, none of them carcinogenic. Then, you know, all of a sudden my whole body just like went off, mm -hmm. went off the, yeah. went off the tracks. And so, but they were able to stop it. They were able mm -hmm. to put it into remission That's and amazing. so far so good, you know, so we, we go forward, but also I have to do my job of self-care. Right. Right. But we, I, Jane, you're a pastor. You deal with habits. Okay. Um, <laughs> humans, we don't always have good habits. Okay. Mm -hmm. I did not have good habits in eating. I did not have good habits in self-care. I've had to learn a whole new way of living based more on self-care. Uh, yeah. That's what I would call really healthy living. Yeah. Know? I probably could have, you know, well, like water, you know, I have to drink like three to four liters of water a day, right? Just to keep right. the hypertension down, right? I have to walk continuously, you know, fresh air. I, right. I always say cancer seems to hate fresh air and love sugar. So I have mm -hmm. to get rid of the sugars and the starches as much as possible. You know, mm -hmm. eat a potato rather than a piece of bread. See what mm -hmm. I'm saying? Yeah. Um, if we, I th we need some carbohydrates in our diet, but I need to be very careful with the carbohydrates hydrates that I put into my body and yeah. be very careful yeah. with just pure. I try not to go above uh, 10 grams of sugar in any product. It's almost impossible to get away from sugars in food. So I try to keep, if, I, if there's sugar in the food, I try to keep it at a, a 10 gram sugar level. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And not go yeah. above that. 
and, and, and endless neck exercises. You know, I had throat and neck cancer, so I have to keep turning my head side to side. I have to do that to stretch the neck so that my neck doesn't free up. I have to lay on the floor. I have to do those yoga exercises where I'm like building up the abdominal muscles. If I have digestive problems to the point of severe constipation, I have to like do my part to strengthen my abdominal muscles so that my body's able to pass the food naturally. I just don't mm -hmm. depend on a bunch of laxatives to help me pass the food. You see what I'm saying? I have to strengthen yeah. my body around the weak right. points. Right, right. Yeah, and you know, so many people um, that I've talked to who are, you know, cancer-free and remission, um, have inactive cancer, they're so surprised with how many symptoms are involved in aftercare. And you've kind of talked a little bit about how you've used nutrition to help yourself, but I know you have lots of other symptoms that you're dealing with that have been pretty life-limiting. Um, but you've found, again, a way to reinvent yourself post-cancer and to um, to care for all of these symptoms. So do you want to talk a little bit about kind of some of the symptoms that you've had, what's been helpful? Um, okay, so uh, I'll start off with neuropathy. The first thing I noticed was neuropathy, okay? So, yeah. you know, w which I felt was a circulatory problem. So what I did was I went out and got myself a shishatsu, I think it's a shishatsu foot massage unit. So I have to put my feet in that foot massage unit twice a day to mm -hmm. keep the circulation in my feet. And that seemed to, to, to alleviate. There's no, there's no cure. I'm just trying to alleviate these symptoms, not right. make them so that they're taking my life down, right? Where I, you know, I can't function. I can't like do things. So I do the shishatsu foot massage. Then you know, I found out that I need to like get on that floor and do these yoga exercises. Well, right. you know, you're talking to the ex-recon Marine. So yoga, it always seemed to me like, well, who, <laughs> who does yoga, you know? So now <laughs> I'm learning, right? So, you know, hey, it's either run five miles and swim five miles or nothing at all. Right, so right, right. Lift weights. Now, yeah. you know, now I'm learning how to do stretching exercises and lots of them, half an hour mm -hmm. stretching exercises on the floor, you know, stretching the legs stretching the, the muscles in the legs, stretching the muscles in the abdomen. And I have bands where I stretch the band up here yeah. in the upper arm, which I think helps keep out the um, lymph glands. So, so it works on okay. strengthening my upper arm and also lymph glands. Also, I have to learn to walk. I've learned to walk, which helped me keep my balance, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm learning to walk, which helps me keep my balance. Also putting fresh air in me. I have a little park behind the house, which nobody uses. I mean, the amount of people who don't walk, I, I'm amazed at really, you know, the mm -hmm. people all over the place. I mean, most people, I, I used to walk in the streets and I would walk by all these houses and everybody's sitting in front of these giant TV screens in recliners, you know, and I was the only guy out there walking. So it kind of taught me that a lot of Americans, a lot of people in the neighborhoods here really probably aren't exercising enough for their own health. Uh, benefits. Mm -hmm. So I've had to learn to walk and walk extensively. I've also had to learn to do, it seems as though that with the dizziness, that that mm -hmm. comes from the low blood pressure, from the hypotension. And so if I get on an elliptic machine for 15 or 20 minutes and exercise and increase that blood pressure, the dizziness goes away. But I have to do it every couple of hours. 
The mistake mm. most people make is they think they can just do it like once a day or something like that, and they're going to be okay. I have mm -hmm. to make these exercise things I've talked about, these practices, exercise practices. I have to make them, you know, where they're part of my life all day long and mm -hmm. in a variety of times. So there'll be, I don't walk all at once, right? I always say to myself and anybody else who wants to hear this is, you know, we cancer patients have not, we've got to learn not to get overextended, right? We have to learn to do stuff in little small increments mm -hmm. during the day. A little yeah. stretching exercise in the morning, a little stretching exercise in the evening, foot massage here, foot massage there, walking here, walking there, small increments, everything gentle, no power walking, no power running, nothing. Just you, because it also, the chemotherapy kind of eats away at the, at the bone uh, mass in the body. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I got to be very careful with joints so that the joints don't get so out of control that I become arthritic, you know, so I have to do stretching exercises to make sure that the joints now, you know, the chemotherapy seem to have, seems to have worked for, mm -hmm. for a person who has had stage four terminal cancer. I'm still alive and I'm grateful for that. But also I have to do my part, which is kind of a lot of small things during the day, which are part of my self-maintenance program. Yeah. 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 But people need to be taught that. Right. Exactly. This is, this, this is the thing. You mm -hmm. almost need a life coach. So if I were doing aftercare, right, you know how we talked about that in my little writing? I see I would have a composite of people doing a little home and see now it's all cost affordable with video, right? It's not like, you know, before you had to send a team, like you had the visiting nurse come to the house. And da, 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 da. Now we can do all this with video. So we can do aftercare and it's much more cost effective. It's much more cost effective. And again, I think we have to be very careful because what happens if is if people don't take care of themselves, if you don't take care of your car, it deteriorates, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't change the oil and take it into a mechanic and change the tires and make sure everything's about your, your automobile will deteriorate. The human body is the same thing. If yeah. we don't take care of our human body, it deteriorates, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, but to do that, we need to be checking in with people along the way. The, the cost of not having the aftercare would be, I mean, what, now, I was lucky my insurance covered for the emergency room visits, but there are people out there that don't get covered, right? right. And our hospitals, you know, and our, our hospitals are very precious institutions. I know you're a church person. Mm -hmm. I, I think our hospitals are as important as the religious community. Yeah, absolutely. And we need to make sure that our hospitals are up and functioning and not going under. Yeah. You know, and if we have all these folks who aren't taking care of themselves and are deteriorating and are using like higher and higher costs yeah. care at the end of their lives, that's going to put a burden on our hospital system. I'm, I'm talking not right. just morality. I'm talking the economics of this also. You yeah. know, I, I think yeah. our job is to take right. care of each other. Right. That's all we have to do in this life. Be good yeah. to each other. Be kind to each other. Take care of each other. But also, we've got to think of things a little more practically. We live, we live in an economic world, too, where, you know, that costs, right? Yeah, right, right. And so the thing is, that if we had moderate 
I think, aftercare where people are being checked in. And it's probably going to take a little bit more than once a month. Mm-hmm. It's going to probably take a couple of times a week, you know, and um, that's going to take some spirituality. And with cancer, we're also, I think, going to have to look at employment. Most people and have what I would call supported employment. Mm-hmm. With cancer, many people who have cancer would not be able, will not, cannot return to the work or jobs that we had before. So what will be the jobs that we could do in the future? How will we be productive? Um, what can we do with each other in the future? And, and that also has to be part of our package care. Most of the people I meet in the cancer treatment world are people that the onset of cancer was later in life, but they lost their job. Some people lost their job and they, they, they feel like they've lost themselves because their job was who they were. Right. Right. And so, you know, how can we return people to some kind of ability to earn a living and feel important, feel like they're part of stuff. And that's what I said to you earlier, Jane. I mean, I think the secret to life is we get born, we learn, Mm -hmm. we work, and then we die. And that's all Mm -hmm. there is to life. That's Mm -hmm. all there is. So that if that work, component is missing many people feel kind of like incomplete during the course of their life it's just you know finding jobs that you know cancer patients can do and and where that can where that can all all go to is is i think it's it's all it's all going to be a beautiful new terrain territory with aftercare or what i would call maybe total care right right because we have yeah. to start thinking about that when people when we're going through the treatments, you know, like yeah, the treatments we're you know we're gonna, but where are you gonna? What are you gonna do after this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love I love this um, idea of yours. I love this dream of yours. I think it's it's it is the wave of the future, you know, and hopefully it can happen someday that there is this wraparound team of support for people after. Um, they finish cancer treatments and are in remission to take care of all of the needs um, that you mentioned. You know, I, I'm also thinking that, you know, until that day comes, here you are, um, someone who has found a way to find life um, in the midst of um, all of these symptoms that you're going through. I know you've mentioned, too, that you're sort of tied to your house Um, You were always so active in life and now you're at home all the time. For someone who's listening and sort of in this place, whether they're in the middle of active cancer or um, post-treatment, or maybe they're just going through something else that's limiting their life, um, do you have some advice, some some thoughts for them? Yeah. uh, What I would do is I would just try to do stuff. Like I try to do some art. Well, I'm not an artist, but you know, I draw little pictures of me and they're like little comic uh, characters, right? Of me, you know, and and I think learning to draw, one thing cancer's taught me is just accepting what I got and where I'm at. So that means I've had to learn to drop perfectionism, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like I've tried to learn how to play the guitar. So, you know, I don't play the guitar like Carlos Santana. I play the guitar kind of just to make myself happy and sing a song. I'll probably do a little song for you at the end of this. And so, you know, yeah, I'll do a little song for you at the end of this. And you can just see what I'm talking about because I don't, I don't have good cording on the guitar, but I enjoy playing the guitar and singing and making myself happy around the house by singing. 
Same with the puppet shows. I'm not a professional puppeteer, but I enjoy telling my stories and enjoy having other people respond to them, you know? So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I do those on Facebook and I put that out on, um, on YouTube also. Nice. So, and that, that means that I get people, they can watch it in their own time. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like in this multimedia internet world that we live in, we can just post things now and people can watch it when they have time. It's not like people have to see it at the moment. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And actually people can, can look you up on YouTube. Um, at Mo, just search Mo Armstrong and you'll Mo find Armstrong channel. I gotta, right. <laughs> you'll find interviews and, um, I think lectures and then also these puppet shows and the guitar. And, you know, I talked to so many people who, um, you know, if they, they're used to running, as you said earlier, like used to running five miles a day and now, you know, during cancer or even after they're down to, you know, sort of walking around the block and taking a nap and then walking around the block again. And, and so, you know, I just want to emphasize too, it's no small feat that you have, have made these reinventions in your life. These are not things that um, just happen. They take energy and they take um, that inner strength, right. To keep to, to be able to, to do it in a different way and to find life and meaning in that. Well, the term also, I think, is mindful. People have to be mindful what's hurting our bodies and what's hurting our minds. Mm. And really, people haven't, I wouldn't say that's been a big emphasis uh, for many uh, centuries uh, yeah. in humanity, right? People kind of think they can do what they want. They can eat what they want. They can um, take out whatever they want on other people and uh, there's no consequences on them. You know, like I found out that I have to stay very kind of emotionally, you know, neutral. You know what I mean? I can't get too angry. I can't get too Mm -hmm. depressed. I have to just stay kind of emotionally neutral, but you know, most people don't think that they're like, you know, the amount of people out there with road rage or whatever they've got, you know, I mean, Cancer patients, I think all that stuff just drives back into us. And so, you know, I, I try to be very careful with my emotions. I try to be very careful with the food that I eat. I try mm-hmm. to be very uh, careful with not uh, hurting myself. So I've learned to, I do the leisurely walk, right? Or I just stay up on the hill behind my house and walk around the house and get the fresh air. I don't have to do so many miles to make myself feel good. Right. And I also have to watch the UVs, right? Cancer mm-hmm. makes yeah. us ex- makes us more vulnerable to sun. So you know, I I try not to go out above a UV above two. So if mm-hmm. the UVs above two, I don't go out and walk. I I wait until the UVs are below two. Either mm-hmm. you know, maybe like this morning the UVs went up to two at eleven o'clock in the day, and tonight they'll be down at. Uh, two at four o'clock. So I go out after four o'clock and I stop walking at 11. You see what I'm saying? I don't go out when there's high UVs and everything is kind of learning how to preserve myself. Mm -hmm. But that also means that that's a whole different lifestyle for me and for many others. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it takes that energy and effort, but people can do it. 
And, you know, I see you finding so much joy in, in, you know, offering the support groups on Zoom still and, you know, learning, taking up something new, learning the guitar um, the, and, and learning the puppet shows. It's, it's, it is, it is about reinventing yourself and, and doing that and people can't do it. Um, yeah. And you know what, Jane, uh, you know, it's really weird. Uh, we, we cancer patients, I think we need to really kind of come to our own new identity, right? Right. We are a people. A third of the population seems like in the United States is going to have cancer. So there's a lot of us, mm-hmm. you know, and how will we define ourselves? Right. And again, I think that we need to probably learn from other people. Women, you know, I mean, when I grew up, my my mother was the only person in the whole town that almost worked, right? It was mm-hmm. just seen as a almost a disgrace that my mother had to hold a job, right? In 19, <laughs> this was 1962, right? Wow. 1962. Yeah. I mean, people talked about my mother like, you know, like I, nobody could believe that my mother worked, right? Wow. Now we, you know, you know, and since that's not a long time, Jane, that's a it's not. That's over 50 years, right? That's not yeah. a very long time in the span of things. So women have had to learn, like, you know, what is this new identity? Where do women fit in? And yeah, we need to learn from women. We need to learn probably from other minorities. You know, Latinos, you know, were kind of always seen as kind of like um, bad characters, you know, um, mal hombres or something, you know, bad characters in, in motion pictures and stuff. And Latinos mm-hmm. have demanded, you know, to be, you know, re, 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 rethought. And I think mm-hmm. we cancer patients, we're not a tragedy. You know, as a matter of fact, we're a success yeah. story. We're yeah. a success story. And our, and our system... I think needs to celebrate our existence a little yes, bit. You mentioned that, yes, <laughs> yes, right, absolutely. You know, yeah. I don't. This podcast is a start. Exactly. Maybe make real motion pictures about real people that have cancer. Maybe yeah. have people who have cancer be the actors in motion pictures about people that have cancer. Right. 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 You know what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's actually, that was the motivation for, for starting this podcast is that I would meet with folks like you and hear, um, such incredible insight. And, um, and I thought this can't just end with me because this is insight that anyone needs, right. That anyone really needs. Um, so yeah. So I'm so thankful that you, um, have contributed so much and taken the time to be on the podcast and everything. And I know, I know that people um, have gained so much from, from listening to you. Well, let me um, sing a song then. We're I would love look. to hear this song. Oh, yeah. I love Last it. Thing, this is the best. Is my quality <laughs> of um, guitar work. It's I love it. Okay, it's a great place to end, I think. But it is. You know, so I, I got myself a six-string guitar. Nice. And I figured out that hey, most car, most songs, are only um, three chords, right? Okay. So everything I do is see. I there's my little D. Let me just make sure I'm in tune. Perfect. Make sure I'm in tune there. That didn't sound right. Say, 
I'm down and out, but I'm not going under. I'm singing a song as I walk along. I'm filled with wonder. The birds are in the trees and the clouds are in the sky. And I'm underneath walking along. Hey, I'm down and out, but I'm not going under. There's no bravado left in me. Just humility. Just surviving this is what I'm left with. Hey, I'm down and out, but I'm not going under. How's that? Awesome. That's amazing. I love it. Thank you so much, Mo. Oh my gosh. It's been so much fun to have this conversation with you. I'm so grateful. Um, I like being with you, Jane. You're a good person. You know, and I'm I'm just so grateful that you're caring for the other cancer patients. It's really important. Like I said, Jane, I never met an atheist in the infusion room. (laughs) Right, right, right. Everybody is praying that I met. Yep, yep. Yeah. And a lot. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. So, gosh, thanks so much. And, um, yeah, I'll just, I'll, um, it'll be great to, uh, I encourage people to, to continue listening and um, tuning in. And I hope, you know, I know that so many people have gotten so much from listening to you, Mo. And so, thanks so much. And well, that's how we started this out. I hope I don't bum people out. <laughs> Not at all. (laughs) Not at all. I think it gives hope. I think your passion and your desire and your your dreams and your ideas are so hopeful. So hopeful for our world. So thank you. Thanks, Jay. All right. This episode of In the Midst of It All was made possible by the generous support of the Yale Cancer Center, Yale New Haven Hospital, the Yale Palliative Care Program, and the Yale New Haven Department of Spiritual Care. Huge gratitude for Rodney Staggers, a man with cerebral palsy who helped birth this idea and has been a huge creative motivator. Thank you to Ellen Hoverkamp, an artist with metastatic lung cancer, who created the artwork for our podcast. You can find her artwork at myneighborsgarden.com. A big shout out to Emily Montemerlo, who, among other things, helps edit the stories you have heard and who just is a lovely support in every way. And Ryan McAvoy, who helps record and edit the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit that subscribe button and tell your friends. It would mean so much to us and to all our podcast guests if you would leave it a review in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We would love to hear how this podcast has helped you. Okay, friends, we will post our next story and interview soon. But in the meantime, check out more stories on the Yale New Haven Hospital Yale Cancer Center website. This is In the Midst of It All with me, Chaplain Jane.